Well, good morning, church family. Here it is, October 28th of 2020, uh, our last Wednesday of the month of October of uh, a year that is definitely going to be one we will remember. Uh, as we finish out this section, uh, Yod, um, in Psalm 119, verses 73 to 80, uh, that I've entitled, Hoping in God's Word. And so before I begin and reread uh, that section, let's uh, give our time over to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, we do thank you for uh, the opportunity to open your word. Thank you that it is in our language that we can read, that we have study tools that we can use to go even deeper. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for the truths that it holds, uh, truths that you have revealed to us so that we can know who you are. And Lord, as we do so today, Lord, may you bless each and every one uh, that is listening uh, so that they may be encouraged uh, through the truth that you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalms, uh, Psalm 119, starting in verse 73, says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. So we're picking up in verse 77, as we've already taken a look last time. Uh, and I encourage you, if you missed la the uh, first part of this, you can go to the church website uh, to take a look at that. That's ellingtonbaptistchurch.org, uh, so that you can get the full picture of this uh, section of Yod, verses 73 through 80. Let your mercy come to me. You know, mercy is a word that you could spend a lot of time considering, contemplating, looking up in the Word of God. And as I thought about God's mercy, uh, one main text came to me, but um, there's a couple other things uh, I'll share. But I'd like to read out of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and, and I'm going to read it first, and I'm going to draw some, some things that we can take from it as we think about God's mercy coming to us. It says, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sins." in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So let me stop there for a moment before I read verse 4 uh, and verse 5. Because what... Paul has laid out right here is man's terrible condition before God, man that is in deserving of God's wrath because man is in rebellion uh, against God. Uh, he is dead in his trespasses and sins, but he is walking uh, and embracing and doing everything that is pertained to the sinful flesh, uh, uh, carrying out the passions of the flesh and desires of the body and mind. Uh, it says, as nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
everyone that walks the face of the earth. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love those two words, but God. Because it took a look at man's terrible condition, and God had a plan. And he executed that plan, because our God is a God who is rich in mercy. And only a God who is rich in mercy would implement a plan to redeem such undeserving and evil beings like you and I were. And see, only someone who has experienced the mercy of God can take delight in the very law that shows him to be a sinner before God. Because you notice it says in verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live. And he's speaking to live spiritually uh, and even to live the physical life that he still has left that God has blessed him with uh, as he lives the everyday Christian life. But he says, for your law is my delight. See, the thing is, the law is not a delight to those who are lawbreakers. The law is a delight to those who have experienced the mercy of God and can see the law for what the law is there for. And that's to show us as sinners before a holy God. That is the mercy that the psalmist is asking to come to him. Uh, a mercy that is, does not just begin and end in salvation. It's a mercy that God shows us even each and every day as we, we continue to be transformed in our thinking, as we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, because we need mercy every day. And, and thankful to God that he does not deal with us according to our iniquities, because our iniquities are many, our sins are many. But see, we are welcomed into the presence of God to actually receive the very mercy that the psalmist is asking God to give. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. It says in verse 14 and following, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Okay, so we have a high priest. We have someone who is, has come from heaven to earth to offer himself as Jesus, the Son of God, as that once-for-all sacrifice. And because that's the case, it says, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is how Jesus can sympathize with us because he knows the struggles of, of sin, but he also knows it in, in a way that, that none of us can even possibly imagine because he was tempted to sin, yet never sinned. Verse 16 goes on to say, Let us then, because this is all true, because we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, one who is able to sympathize with us because he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So just as the psalmist is pulling forth this, this uh, petition to God to let your, your mercy come to me that I may live because I delight in your law. Your law is my delight. 
that we have the opportunity as believers to be welcomed into the presence of God to receive the very mercy we need each and every day. A mercy, as we know from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, that never ends. The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies never come to an end because God is mercy. God is merciful. That's who he is. And he will always be that way. Well, the psalmist goes on in verse 78 to say, Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. So here we have the psalmist pointing out again those who are being insolent, those who are full of pride, uh, and he's calling on God to have them be put to shame. He says, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood which in turn is really wronging God because this is God's servant, the psalmist. Listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 10 that describes how uh, wicked or insolent or prideful people uh, act. It says in verse 4, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight, As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And see, the thing is, is this proud person is so proud that they're a fool. Because the, the, the proud person even goes to the point of saying that there's not even a God. And in that foolishness, thinks that he can get away with whatever he wants because, you know what, he thinks that God is out of sight. You know, and as for his foes, he just puffs at them. You know what, I won't be moved. There's no one to challenge me, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and no one can be, be or say anything contrary. What well, does that sound familiar? Because we have people in every generation that will pontificate things just like this that they will be proud in what they, they say, they will be proud in what they do, and they pretend as if uh, they are the end-all, be-all of everything. Spurgeon said, Shame is for the proud, for it is a shameful thing to be proud. He says, Shame is not for the holy, for there is nothing in holiness to be ashamed of. And I think that's a pretty profound statement. Because as we are living right before the Lord, as we have the holiness that only Christ can give us, when we are living and experiencing the mercy of God so that we may live as we delight in the law of the Lord, as the psalmist said in verse 77, when we are living in the holiness of God, there is nothing to be ashamed of. And I I like the fortitude of the, the psalmist because he goes on to say, as for me, as for me, you know, uh, we've used that phrase, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I noticed the declaration there. As for me, this is what I declare. This is what I want the world to know. That even though I may be surrounded by those who are insolent, that should be put to shame, even though they've wronged me with falsehood, things that are not true. As for me, this is what I declare I'm going to do. And if you notice his choice, what is his choice? 
I will meditate on your precepts. The psalmist doesn't choose to wallow in self-pity. He doesn't choose uh, to go and seek revenge. He doesn't uh, seek to go back and do the same things to them that was done to him. Instead, his choice after declaring, as for me, is a commitment that he will meditate on God's precepts, to meditate on God's word, because he knows that God's word is truth and that God's word can give him the hope that he needs even amidst this constant barragement of people wronging him. Well, he goes on in verse 79 to say, Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. So if you remember back to, um, uh, let's see, verse 74, Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where as he, he's, he's contemplating uh, again that he has the ability to be a visible witness of the grace of God in his life to people around him. Because he says, let those who fear you turn to me. Let those who fear you see me and rejoice. And so the psalmist is, is through his living, through his choices, through his declaration, through his commitment to the Lord, giving something for others to see. And, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, a part of, of the getting together and realizing the impact that we can have on one another is there for a purpose. Because when we see people that are living for the Lord, that are being obedient, that are making declarations and choices and commitments that are in line with the Word of God, it will have a profound effect on others as they see that. Um, the psalmist, through living out his life before others, can show those who fear God what they need to know about God's Word. Because he says, let those who fear you. So these belong to God. They fear Him. And he's saying, turn to me. Well, is it turning to Him for the purpose of the glory coming to the psalmist? Well, the answer to that question is no. He wants them to turn to Him so that they can see God working in His life so in turn, they will make some of the same choices to meditate on his precepts, even though he's being, uh, you know, ridiculed, that they would have a delight in the law of God because they want the mercy of God to come into their lives. And see, the thing is, you have to understand there will always be those who fear God among those who do not. Uh, and even as we grow in, in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, there's times when we walk away, when we don't see or the benefit or seek the benefit of, of clinging to God. The psalmist is not wanting those who fear God to start fearing him. Instead, his desire is for them to experience the same deliverance and victory that the psalmist has enjoyed, things that he has experienced firsthand. And so with this combined gaze, as the psalmist is being a reflector so that they may be all reflected to a gaze towards God and his word, towards heaven itself. Uh, it rings true of what it says in Psalm 105.4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. See, the psalmist is pointing everyone to God because he knows what God and his word can do. And he finishes up with the, uh, the capstone of this section, uh, if you want to call it, or the, the end bookmark. Uh, it says, May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. You know, listen to the two things that the, the psalmist finishes this section with. Two desires. One is to be blameless in God's statutes, to be blameless in pertaining to God's word. In other words, seeking greater obedience to God because he knows that when he's obedient, when he is in the presence of God, then that is the very best place he can possibly be. But his second desire is is that I may not be put to shame. So he's also, after seeking a greater obedience to God and and living a life that is blameless before the word of God, is that he's seeking a regret-free life before God. See, these desires are reasonable and expected of someone who has experienced the mercy of God, giving him life and delight and love and comfort and understanding as we've learned in this section. And I love as you, you, you take a look at this, I don't know if you caught this as we went through and I didn't point it out individually in each because it, it all comes together. So what can help foster living a regret-free life before God? Well, look back at verse 76. Let your let God's steadfast love comfort you. Verse 77, let your, let, that means let God's mercy come to you. Verse 78, let the insolent, those who are proud, be put to shame because you know that when that's the case, then God is glorified. Verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me so that in turn I point them to you. And finally, in verse 80, it doesn't say the words let, but it says, may my heart be blameless. So you want to foster a life that is regret-free before God, a life that is characteristic of someone who has a greater obedience to God, trying to live your life blameless in all your ways according to the word of God, then let, your, let God's steadfast love come comfort you, let his mercy come to you, Let the insolent that are around you who ridicule you be put to shame and God glorified. Let those who fear God see your example and in turn turn to God. And may you with all your heart be blameless, all because of Christ in you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this last section here of uh, verses uh, 77 through 80. Uh, of hoping in your word. And Lord, we know your word does give hope. It gives us the hope of, of life after death, uh, that through faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can be made right with you, uh, that you can, through your son, reconcile what has been uh, completely damaged and torn apart by sin. Uh, and Lord, I thank you for the testimony of the, the psalmist as he declared his resolve that even though he found himself being wronged uh, and being uh, have lies uh, told about him, that he, he made a conscious choice that as for him, he would meditate on your precepts, on your word. And I ask that for each and every one of the church family, each one listening today, that they would too make that declaration that as for me, uh, I choose to meditate on God's word. I do not choose to, to listen to all the falsehood around me. 
I don't choose to allow those things to pull me down. I don't choose to try and retaliate, but instead what I do is I take your word and I meditate upon it, make it part of who I am so that it may in turn give me the comfort that I need, that it would give me the mercy that I need, that it would give me the perspective that I need uh, so that uh, I may uh, live before you in a way that is blameless in our heart. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, church family, for joining us once again. Uh, have an amazing end of your week. Uh, don't, be, uh, don't forget to be praying for the Olympian program, which will be starting uh, two days or two nights from now on Friday uh, as we look forward to having the Olympians back. Uh, and two, just be in prayer as we prepare for Sunday worship. Uh, and we look forward to, to joining together uh, on November the 1st uh, for our first Sunday in November. God bless you. Have a great week.